You're listening to The Heart of It Podcast. My name is Sam Smeltzer, and I'm an HR intuitive and healer. In this podcast, we'll chat about what the industry of human resources can make possible for people and our organizations. In each episode, we'll have raw conversation around inner development and organizational culture change to create a working world where both people and organizations thrive. Thank you for listening. Now let's get this episode started. Hello there, and welcome to this episode of the Heart of It podcast. I'm so grateful that you're taking time out of your day, afternoon, evening, and listening and joining us for this conversation, and especially this conversation, which is near and dear to my heart because we're talking about culture today. I was just telling my guest that I don't get a lot of culture-esque experts because there's not a lot of them out there that I find where we are very much aligned in how we view things. Um, And not to mention also has been doing research and data to share with us that backs why culture work is so important. So without further ado, my guest today is Brett Putter. And uh, Brett, you want to take a moment and just say hello, maybe tell them a little bit about yourself? Yes, thanks. Hi, Sam. And really great to be on the podcast. Uh, Looking forward to it. And it's a pleasure to join you. Um, So I'm the uh, founder and CEO of a company called Culture Gene. Culture Gene is a culture development platform that um, I started the business four years ago now, and we help companies define, embed, and manage their culture. And we use software and human expertise to do that. Uh, pr- prior to that, my background was 16 years in executive search. I was the managing partner of a search firm in London, working anywhere between Moscow and San Francisco. And um, that's really where my the light bulb went off for me in terms of culture and culture development. So it's really great to be on the show. Thanks. Yeah. So exciting to have you here. I have to um, tell you that this morning when I was getting ready, I was very much pumped about having you on the show from London because I've had a dream since I was a little girl about wanting to move and visit London. And I just never gotten to go. Um, And my husband's like, is this like, a way to vicariously live that out. I'm like, I don't know. I guess I'm getting a little bit closer. I'm making connections. <laughs> so uh was very excited all the way around. Well, you're most welcome. Whenever you come to London, it would be great to, to have you. Oh, awesome. So um, the thing about Brett that really intrigued me when we were talking and planning for this episode is there's this fun statistic that is posted on your site uh, for your newest book, when you were doing the research, you said that you had to talk to over 500 companies in order to find at least 50 that were worthwhile for you to find data to build what you, and share what you were putting in your book. So talk about that journey. Why, why did you have to go through 500 to get to 50? What were you specifically looking for? So uh, I was looking to, to really dig deep into the layers of the onion of company culture. Um, because the there is having researched and having studied uh, various experts and uh, people like Charles Handy and Edgar Schein and various others, I knew that there was more to culture than meets the eye. So I would I would I put a message out to my network and said, "Hi everybody, I'd love to speak to anybody you think has is building a really strong culture." And um, I'd be introduced to Jack. You know, Jack's building a great culture, and so I'd 
schedule a meeting with Jack and we'd chat and how's it going, da, 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 da. and I'd say, okay, so now so tell me about your company culture, um, how you defined your values, how you defined your mission and your vision, and you know, what have you done in terms of defining the expectations or what, you, what your values mean? So that's the next layer of the onion. And, and, and they would go, well, you know, we've got, we've got some phrases around that that help our people understand what, what, what they mean. And I said, so can, you know, can, you, can you give me any examples? And the CEO would be, uh, 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 and then I'd go to, so, so tell me how you have embedded your culture into the leadership team. What are you doing there? And they may well be doing some recognition and reward system, but other than that, not very much. And then I'd ask, how are you embedding it into processes? How are you embedding it into policies and the structures of the organization? And at each time, as I got deeper and deeper and deeper, so the, the answers were less and less defined. And essentially, I needed to speak to companies where it was almost impossible to have this conversation in an hour. And most leaders where the culture conversation was really interesting and really deep into the layers of the onion, where they were actually managing and leading and making decisions through the lens of culture, those conversations were two, two and a half hour long conversations. And actually they could have gone on for even longer. So, so for, for me, it was, I was really surprised about this because it turns out that 10% of companies have done an okay to good job of, of defining their culture and embedding their culture and then managing their culture. And that's really where it, where it comes from. The, the reason why the book took as long as it took to write um, was because, A, I'm a terrible writer and it's like wading through a swamp with an alligator chasing you and an anaconda around your neck. It's really, really terrifying for me, but I had to get it down. And also because I had to, I had spent so much time speaking to companies that I just couldn't get any any depth on. That's uh, uh, amazing to me. I mean, I shouldn't even say that because it's not. At the same time as you're sharing it, I was not a hundred percent surprised that those are the way that your conversations were going. And and I think that time frame is a really great measurement of knowing that you have to be able to talk about your culture at a depth that you could facilitate the conversation longer than an hour um, and how many cannot. When I think about the typical culture formula um, that I'm used to hearing from leaders, they think if I tell you to work on your culture, they're gonna have a strategic planning session where they're gonna work on articulating mission, vision and values. Um, and that's where it ends. Um, and I, I personally, and I would love to get your input on this. I personally find myself uh, arguing, and I say this professionally, but essentially it's arguing, arguing with a professional, uh, with a leader or a CEO, because they're so caught up in the verbiage and, and the way that it has to look like all these other, rather than it being the true part of the framework that it needs to be. So I would love to get your thoughts when you're thinking about mission and vision, which I'm sure probably came up in those conversations and then translating them to values, which should be the behaviors that begin the embedding in the culture. Um, what were like when you were having those conversations and they were ending so early, you know, what were you finding a lot with that mission and vision and values? Is, was there an obvious disconnect or a lack of awareness of what they meant? Um, what did you find there? So I found a couple of things. First of all, some people don't, they confuse mission and vision. Um, and some companies 
justifiably just have a mission and that's fine. This is our mission and that's all we're going to do. That's great. But I, I think there should be a vision, mission and values. And if you can have a purpose over and above that, that's awesome. But I don't think it's, I don't think every company can be, you can be purposeful, but really having a mission of, of real purpose is, is a different level. But so, so for me, vision is where we, where the company will be in five to 10 years. If everything goes according to plan, how will we impact the world? And then the mission is what are we going to do with our customers on a day-to-day basis to achieve that? And the values, as you said, is how are we going to behave to on a day-to-day basis to fulfill our mission? And so they, they, they lead one to the other. Um, I was, I was finding that you, people um, struggle with, with these things because they feel uncomfortable if it's not perfect, as you said. And I actually go with both of my clients with mission, vision, and values as I say, look, let's just get something down on paper. And we're going we're gonna to tell the team that culture is an iterative thing. We're going to continue to work on it on an ongoing basis as we are on our values and our mission and our vision. And our mission and vision may change, but for now, this is as good as it needs to be. It doesn't have to be perfect and we don't have to craft some Shakespearean wizardry. All we have to do is get it right so people understand where we're going, what we're doing to get there, and how we're going to behave in that process. And so, you know, I I will say to a company, let's just go with these values. They're not 100%, but they're close. And we'll review them in six months. We'll have have a look at them and go, okay, you know, this doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like us. Cool, let's rewrite it. But I think the main problem, and you, Sam, must have come across this many times, the main problem that leaders have and the big mistake that they make is they don't define what's expected about their values. They don't define what's important, what they mean to the company and what you can expect from the company and the company can expect from you. And this is the big, big, big missing step in most companies. You said this magical word of it doesn't feel right. And like when we put the words out there for that mission and that vision and those values, there has to be the way that they come alive and you have to be constantly reevaluating them. And I also, your time frame sounds so much more realistic of this in six months, let's revisit and see what's missing or if this is truly how we're living and breathing as an organization with those values rather than, oh, we did our planning. So we're good for the year or sometimes five years or sometimes 10 years. And then we'll check it out. I mean, to me, an organization is a living, breathing organ- organism. It's growing and evolving and adapting just like a child is going into adulthood. And um, so that's almost like saying, oh, well, my child's fed and they're good today. And so I can check on them in five years or at the end of the year. So I, I think those are really key words that you used. Yeah. And actually, I, I, like, I like the child metaphor there because I, my mission, um, my company's mission is to help turn company culture into a recognized business function in the same way that sales, marketing, engineering, and finance are. You wouldn't go to your, your board of directors and say, ah, we're not going to bother with finance this month. And actually sales, we may pick up in three months time. You know, they'd, you'd be shot um, on the spot. So, and culture needs to have the same approach. But in order to do that, we need to make it manageable. And to make it manageable, we need to make it measurable, which is where things get a little bit tough. But that's really my, you know, that's my mission is, is, is to fulfill that in, in, in the world. I love your mission. And 
I wish that there were more organizations around that had that mission. And so when I think about translating culture to business, one of the most obvious places that we start is with this strategic planning process when we're talking about evaluating mission, vision, and values, but also the entire organization um, and thinking about looking at where they're at and where they want to go. And so I see that anytime there's culture development, I get a lot of phone calls that it's starting or people asking for advice on that planning process um, and what are they looking for in proposals. The issue that I see is that we have, we have a trusted process that we think works, but it's not creating the end result that we want. And we know that because organizational loyalty is down, engagement's an issue, all of those kinds of things. So when someone's looking for a consultant, or maybe you can give us a sneak peek of how you kind of structure your proposals. I mean, what are those key components when someone's looking at, hey, help us plan for the future. Let us get a really good idea of where we're at and how, I mean, because that's strategic planning setting us up for the vision uh, in a lot of situations. Sometimes it is mission, but on a lot of them, when they're doing these long forecasts for five, 10 mm-hmm. years, they're doing vision uh, strategic yeah. planning work. So what am I looking for from those consultants? How do I know it's someone who's going to help me take my culture to that next level? Because it is, it's pivotal to this whole thing working. Yeah. So um, the last uh, eight, nine months have changed the answer to this question fundamentally. Um, And what I now, if I was to advise somebody in HR, what would I be looking for? I'd be looking for somebody who understand the fundamental difference between how we worked in a co-located office-based environment and how we're gonna work moving forward, whether that's hybrid or remote. And then help me build a culture because my culture has changed. My culture in the office was X and my culture is now Y. And actually that culture of Y is, de- is degrading every day because we're relying on, we, we, we relied too much on the office. A lot of leaders were lazy about their culture because the office did the work for them. And so in my book, I talk about how Warren Buffett, one of Warren Buffett's quotes is, you only know when, when, when somebody's swimming naked when the tide goes out. And the tide's gone out. COVID took the tide out. And now these leaders that didn't do anything about their culture are going, oh, gosh, what do I do now? And so I would be looking for somebody who, who really had a good understanding of what the future of work looked like in a hybrid or a um, a, a fully remote environment, depending on which way my business was going. And then I'd want them to be able to specifically look at our business and say, okay, you're strong there, you're weak there. So for, so, so, in the research I've done uh, over the last year, I actually started um, researching remote companies just over a year, and a year and a bit ago because of the software I've built. And so, I found that there are nine best practices that remote companies over-index on in comparison to co-located companies in an office-based environment. And so I'd be looking for, do you understand how our communication has to change from synchronous to asynchronous? Do you understand how our documentation has to change from a a speak-first mentality to a write-first mentality? Because if we don't document it, how do we know it happened? And I'd be looking for structure. How, you know, how do we bring more structure? Because our people are now working from home. They don't know, they don't may not know how to work from home. So that's the way I would look at it. I, I would really want to make sure that whoever was guiding me in this process of culture development I really understood what was coming. Thank you for saying that the dynamics have changed over the last eight, nine months, because 
not enough people are saying that you think that you would recognize that. And I love the Warren Buffett quote, because it literally, you're right, the tide has gone out. And a lot of organizations are standing there naked. And we're seeing a lot of ugly that is being exposed. Yeah. Um, leaders who had minimal skill sets are now barely surviving a lot of them micromanaging and controlling out of fear. And it's so yeah, the dynamics have completely changed. Um, and for a lot of us, we don't know what to do with that, because the office became this we got comfortable. <laughs> it was easy to yeah. kind of do that. We could we could put it off until later because it, it the office is managing it for us. I I am um, I have this interesting well I have this um, uh, process I I have with my clients which is I allow my clients to grieve for the loss of pre-COVID work. And actually, if you follow the five stages of grief, different people are at different stages right now. But people are coming out on the other side now, and that's actually when their heads coming out of the sand, going, "Okay, we've lost that." It's not coming back. Some of it may come back in the future, but we can't rely on it. So what do we do about the What do we do about this? And I, I related to we lived on Earth and we ran around in our clothes and we ate and drank and breathed and gravity did its thing. But we've now on the moon. That's how much things have changed. We've got different equipment, different clothes. We eat different things. Gravity is different. The, the temperature is different. It's all different now. And we now have to adapt as leaders to this new environment. And I think a lot, of, a lot of leaders are hoping naively that we're going to go back to a, a, or at least do a hybrid environment where we could build and manage the same way. But that's not possible. I think this is really critical. This is my message is please pull your, ha your heads out of the sand. This is, this is not going back to what it was. It's amazing when I do this podcast, how the guests just kind of naturally come in when they're supposed to come in. Last season, we had a guest, Kevin Ringstaff, and he is a, a grief expert. And he talked about how we don't handle grief well as HR practitioners. And this was just when we started to lock down by, for the pandemic. Um, so we were just experiencing that. Uh, I personally, my studies have been looking at grief from past workplace, like in a normal world, not being on the moon and the things we're grieving now. But we do grieve the loss of a lot of things, lost expectations from our leader, from our boss, and now loss of work how it was. You know, my, my, potentially me envisioning what my job was going to be 10 years from now could be completely gone. My industry could be gone. Like these are things that are happening. So I really yeah. appreciate you saying that and, and putting that you know, the, these words that link together to show that this is a very important moment. This is a historical moment for more reasons than one. Um, and I also kind of love your, your ostrich analogy. Get your head out of the sand, please, please, please. So uh, let's talk to those people that maybe still have their head in the sand. So we started with these conversations, how you went from 500 to 50. What if I am a leader listening and I kind of like, well, I know that I'm one of those 50 and they're not one of those 50. What could you say right now that could give somebody a true check and balance to know what side are they on uh, in that metric? So there, there, there's no good or bad culture. There's no great culture. There, it, it, the only relevance of good and bad and great is in relation to would I want to work in your company or not? Is it a good company for me to work in? Is it a good culture or a bad culture? Will I work? Will I be myself in that culture? Essentially, there, 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 you have strong, strong and functional, weak and dysfunctional. And if you have a strong functional culture, then 
Your team understand what the culture is. They understand what your values and mission and vision are. You're talking about it all the time. You're treating it like a function. Your team actually operate like that as a, it's a, it's a habit. They almost don't have to think about the culture. And the systems in place accelerate the business without additional people. If it's, if it's a functional, strong functional culture, that means that the way the business operates actually strengthens the culture. To give you an example of what dysfunctional is, is if you if your business is has a lot of there's a lot of politics at the senior leadership level, that's a dysfunctional business. If your business has lots of silo mentality, keep the information close, that's a dysfunctional business. And a weak business is where people don't know what the culture is, the leaders haven't defined it, and the leaders haven't embedded it. So those are the four quadrants: strong, functional, weak, dysfunctional, and you can easily work out where you are in those four quadrants because if your team can really can, can and you can eloquently articulate what your culture is then you're there you're in the strong if it's functional then you don't have any of these negative behaviors that are slowing you down and so if you look at a company like netflix or a company like airbnb strong functional cultures well understood cultures and operating at really really close to optimum and then there are lots of others so that's the way i would i would propose that you look at your business to work out if you're in the in the in the 1% or the the 10% sorry if you're in the 10% of companies that 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 are really doing a good job of this you when you talked about politics and uh silos and transparency i mean those are some of the biggest organizational development work calls that happen all the time we have silos we have all these office politics and how to navigate that. We just had a guest on three weeks ago who's who's launching a um, workplace training program all around how to navigate office politics without being an a-hole. <laughs> and so um, it's an issue that we're dealing with, but these are all symptoms of a, a cultural issue. And I, I love that you, you put those words out there because uh, I know all of my fellow colleagues if, if that are listening, they are dealing with political issues with their leadership. They've had to navigate and, and um, be very, uh, I don't know, the only word that comes to mind right now, suave when they're handling their leaders to try to mm -hmm. integrate the things that they need to have make happen. Um, and the silos and all of that kind of stuff. Yes, yes. So I, I love that as a metric. Um, so if I want to go in this direction, um, because as much as I would like to say that HR cultural development's at the forefront, it's not. It's a specialty niche for a few of us. Most of us live in compliance and regulation because that's where the fires are. Um, but I know that this really is the route, the route that could possibly stop those fires. What, what do you recommend? How do I start? Because um, there's a lot here. You've told us so much stuff that can make someone's head literally kind of explode and be so overwhelmed at the the what they're running into right now. Mm -hmm. um, where do I start if I'm going to take 2021 and focus on culture with my organization? And let's say we'll make it the um, <laughs> the extreme scenario. I have silos and I have a very political leadership where they are looking for business metrics and culture is touchy feely. Um, I don't want to hear that. Wh where do I start? Sam, it depends on what kind of an individual you are. If you like beating your head against the wall and stay in the company, if you don't resign, 
Um, but that's a little bit brutal, and that's that's not really the, the answer we, we want to share. Um, but actually, so the first place that you have to start is the CEO or, or the chair, chair, chair or whoever it is. Whoever's really leading the business has to be bought into this because if, if they're not bought into it, then you're really, you're, you're just, you're fighting an uphill battle all the time. So from my perspective, um, I will only work with the client if, I, if I've had a face-to-face, -face, well, in this case, Zoom-to-Zoom -Zoom, meeting with the CEO. And we have an understanding that things, things are going to change, both in the organization, but actually in the way that they communicate, in the way they talk about culture, in the way they understand culture, in the way they push their leadership to, to embed culture, et cetera, et cetera. And so if, if from, from my point of view, if you're in HR, I would definitely, if you're in a big division, I'd get the division head to, to, to buy into it. I would, I would, you know, I would start to, to uh, just share stories about how great cultures are working and, you know, what, what, what like strong functional cultures are out there and how they impact the success of their business and then have those conversations with, you know, can we start talking about our values? Can we have a refresh of our values um, if that's needed? Or, you know, if the values are good and strong and solid, can we now start to talk about what um, the values mean to the organization and, and what we expect from people against these values so that we can remove the, the interpretation of values? That's the, the biggest problem with values is they're open to interpretation. And as human beings, we interpret for ourselves first and then everybody else second, third and fourth. So I can interpret the word teamwork exactly as I want based on how I'm feeling that day. So that's, what that, that, that's the approach I would take is really get the senior leadership on board and, and get them to understand what needs to, what needs to be done and, and, and how they need to help you in this embedding process. So um, as I heard you just say, it starts with the buy-in and then it moves to revisiting the values and maybe those kinds of activities. So rather than going in and recommending, hey, we need to revisit our values. If the buy-in's not there, that activity is possibly going to be a complete waste of time because they're not bought into what the greater picture is of what even those values mean or the mission or the vision mean. Um, they maybe have read about the latest business article that said, here are the five terms that you should have in your mission and vision, and they want to integrate those, and that's the activity that they want to run. So buy-in is key. And I also appreciate that you talked about leaving. Um, that's something that I have to talk to quite a few of my HR practitioner colleagues about, that unless you want to slam your head against the wall, which I, I give you kudos, you're breaking down something. You're breaking down some sort of barriers, and someday, potentially, it's either going to, the organization's going to fail, or you are going to break through. How long that will be, I have no idea. Um, but sometimes leaving is, is necessary. A transition is a part of, of your growth and growth for the organization too, because your, your resignation sometimes sends some powerful ripples, um, for people as well. So yeah, the other the, thing that, oh, go ahead, Brett. Sorry, sorry. The, the, the leaving, the leaving thing is, I think if you really believe in, in culture as a critical business function and an, and an asset and you, and you believe, as I do, that it's the one sustainable competitive advantage that a leader has complete control over, then if you're in an environment that doesn't believe that and isn't buying that, then all of your work, you know, it's actually your, actually your values are wrong and you should probably move on. Mm. 
So as you were talking, one thing that really came to my mind um, was was your book. I know some people who are not very good at having these conversations or being able to prep for them uh, to sit down with these leaders. There are a lot of organizations that have started these book clubs where they want to read these growth books. And so you have this book on culture. Um, you have you actually have two books on culture, um, but your newest book on culture, which talking about this data, uh, is that a great tool for them to use to kind of start unpacking and maybe establish credibility and get buy-in from leaders? And what are your thoughts on that, your book being used as a, a book club for leaders? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, it's a really good idea because in the book, I talk about the five different type of types of leaders. And so there's the culture agnostic leader who doesn't care. They're just going to do it their way. There's the tick box leader who's ticked the box of defining the values, mission, and vision, and then just throwing the box in the back somewhere and nothing has changed. There's the leader who's done something with the values, missions, and vision and tried to do some embedding work, but it's not worked and it's failed, but they do understand how important culture is. The fourth type is the culture-aware CEO has been fortunate to learn or has a natural empathy for people and culture and just has that way of doing things. And so is on top of their culture and doing things and, and aware of the importance of it and, and involved in it. And the fifth type is this new type, which is the pre-COVID lazy CEO who's now going, oh, I'm in trouble. I need to do something about this. And, and so... If, if, you, if your boss is type one or two, send them the book. The book is a tactical book on what to do on a daily basis. It's not, it's not a lot of books, which are, I've read most of them. And I, I love the books on um, Southwest and Virgin. And I love the books on Zappos. And I love, you know, are they great? But they very much, this is where the culture is now. And they don't talk about how they, how we got out of the trenches. You know, they don't say, so, and I, the, the the companies I've interviewed are mainly high growth, early stage companies, really in the trenches. They try different things, they test things. Some things work, some things don't. And the way the book is is structured is um, essentially five to ten actual working examples of what companies do when, with regards to in each chapter, with regards to defining your values, mission, and vision. Uh, pre-interview processes, interview processes, onboarding, probation, exit interviews, reviews, then going through how to deal with brilliant jerks and bad hires, um, how to deal with embedding your culture, diversity and inclusion. Uh, there's a, a, a big chapter on, on remote and hybrid work. Um, and then there's a, a sort of chapter on the future of work and, and deliberately developmental organizations. So it's it's a very, you know, that you could literally open the book, turn five pages and say, I'm going to try that in my work, in my workplace today. That sounds awesome. I think that'd be an awesome book club. We should have that book club all over. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> there you go. I just gave bulk orders for your book. <laughs> you can contact Brett at now. You can totally contact him in the show notes. So I'm sure that he'll be happy to help you figure out wholesale and book order, bulk orders if you want to give your entire organization his book. Would love to. So um, as always, this time just flies by and uh, I'm so grateful that you took time today to join us on the Heart of It podcast and share your knowledge and your wisdom and Thank you for doing the work that you are doing because it is needed and there's not enough of us doing it. Um, so everyone working for that movement, uh, I'm always just so grateful for. 
Do you have any final words you want to say to the listeners? Yes, uh, Sam, thank you for the work you're doing. Um, it's, it's, it's wonderful uh, that, you, that you give people like me the opportunity to share the, the, the bit that we're doing. Um, you know, this is, it's my passion and I can see and feel it's, that it's and here it's your passion. So it's, it's really wonderful to connect like this. Um, my books are available on Amazon. Uh, the books are called Culture Decks Decoded and Own Your Culture is the second most recent book. I can be found at www.culturegene.ai. That's culture, G-E-N-E.ai. And I'm, I'm really a student of culture. This is, I'm going to do this until the day I die. So I'm learning all the time. So if you have a great story or you want to share something with me, drop me an email. I'm happy to have a chat. The more people I talk to, the more I learn. And there are far better examples out there that I can find. So please don't hesitate to share. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Brett. Thank you again for listening to this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. And maybe in the future, and I'm sure uh, if he ever has more data coming out or anything fascinating, I'm probably going to bug him to come back on because all this stuff we need to hear and the work is so valuable. Um, so you are part of the Heart of It podcast, Brett. Whenever you want to share with us, you can always come back. And uh, to all the listeners, I will talk to you next week. Brett's latest book, Own Your Culture, How to Define, Embed, and Manage Your Company Culture is the result of Brett interviewing over 50 CEOs to understand how startups and high-growth companies use their culture to achieve massive competitive advantage. Own Your Culture reveals the proven tools and techniques that leaders can use to build a winning company culture. Pick up your copy of Own Your Culture today.